All right, we're going to look today at the chair of compromise. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Go there, please. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Last week, we looked at the chair of anybody? Commitment, the chair of commitment last week, and we've seen how Judas rose up out of that chair, much to his uh, detriment, that's for certain. But we're going to look at today on the chair of compromise, how somebody rose up out of that chair and how that was a good thing. First Samuel, one of my favorite guys in all the Bible. We're going to look at King David for a while. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse number 25, 26, and 27. Are you there? If you're there, say. If you're, no, I got, I'll do something different. If you're there, say, Eureka, I found it. Eureka. There, okay. 1 Samuel 20, verse 25. And King Saul sat upon his seat as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall. How many does that? Men, how many of you do that? You go to a restaurant and you always find yourself sitting against the wall. You know if you find that? Find yourself doing that? I do all the time. I do. It's like the old gunslinger thing. You don't want somebody coming in and you don't really know that they're there. You know, you got to be able to see people as they come in. And I've always, I don't know, I just do that here. <laughs> and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spake not anything that day, for he thought something had been fallen, David, and he is not clean. Surely he is not clean, or else he would have been here. And it came to pass the next day of the month that David's place was empty again. And Saul said unto Jonathan, his son, wherefore comes not the son of Jesse, David, to meet and to have fellowship with us neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered his dad, Saul, and said, David, earnestly ask leave of me to go to Bethlehem. Father, I am praying, Lord, for your blessing upon this preached word, and Lord, the word that will be heard in Jesus' name Amen. Let me set the stage. Let me say as well, if you got a baby that will continue to cry and you cannot under motherly or fatherly caress get that baby to quit crying, we ask you to take that baby out. That's how I am. All right. Now, let me set the stage. David, as a teenage boy, had become famous overnight. By doing something that nobody in Israel was willing, capable, or had the guts to do. He withstood Goliath. Last night, somebody mentioned about, uh, had a bunch of family over to the house, and they mentioned about uh, someone being real tall. And then, uh, so, well, Dave Orr, he's 6'8", or 6'9", or 8 foot, or whatever he is. And, <laughs> and somebody, and uh, Marcus, uh, my nephew, he says, uh, I'm going to be the biggest, I'm going to be the tallest man in the world. Fee, fi, fo, fum. That's what he said. That's just hilarious to me. <laughs> Fee, fi, fo, fum. 
Well, what did David do? He slew the giant. He becomes famous overnight. Women are now singing songs and singing these words, Saul has killed his thousands, and King Saul liked that stanza. But he didn't like the next line. The next line was, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul that grated on Saul. The green-eyed monster of jealousy overtook Saul in that moment. And I've thought for years thinking about that every time I read it, the difference in Saul's life could have been changed by this one thing if he had sang the song. If he had joined in the song, his whole life would have been different. Saul has killed his thousands. He goes, he asked me. Saul has killed his thousands. David killed his tens of thousands. God would have let that man stay right in his position. He could have mentored David. It could have been totally different. But Saul chose another route. Saul let compromise and bitterness eat that guy alive. King Saul is at the head of the table with his back to the wall. Jonathan, his son, is there. Michael, his daughter, is there. Abner, Israel's general, is there. Heads of state are there. The cabinet members are there. And David's chair, thank God, is empty. Because David has chosen something in his young life that he is not going to do. He is not going to sit in the seat of the scornful and he ain't even going to sit by the guy that's sitting in the seat of the scornful. Do you know what a talking tongue needs? Listening ears. Well, Mrs. Long Tongue is really talking bad about Orchardville Church, Centralia Branch. And if you are there and you are listening, you are helping that Mrs. Long Tongue, long, long, lazy for you to say, long tongue to keep her gossip flowing. Mr. I'll carry a grudge until I die has said this about Orchardville Church and therefore I just don't know what I think about Orchardville Church anymore. You know why I never hear any of that? I never hear one iota of that kind of talk. You know why that is? Because the people talking know they'd have a fight on their hands. They know I'll defend this church, and I'll just build it out there. I would not attend a church I couldn't defend. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Furthermore, if you are not willing to defend me as a preacher, don't even pray for me. Your prayers ain't doing nothing for me. I'm not some namby-pamby, sissy, milk-toast preacher that's afraid of my shadow 
And I'm just not going to be able to handle it on any kind of little, no, you know what really gets me? Recently, and it was because of Gina Thomason, she was the, she put my name in over at 90.9 Divine, and I'm sure there were other people here at the church who put my name in, but my name got drawn out. And I won their, I won their grand prize. No, and it wasn't a trip to Barbados. <laughs> I won their grand prize. And when I heard what it was on the radio, I'm thinking, good night. Is that what people think about preachers? <laughs> Two rounds of golf, and I don't golf, but if you do, great. But I mean, that's the stereotype that of, of yeah, preachers, they just spend all their time golfing. <laughs> it's like cops, they spend all their time in the donut shop. Now, you know that ain't right. <laughs> So there was that, and the next was two spa treatments. Is that what people think about preachers? <laughs> and I'm getting a spa treatment, getting my nails done. And the last thing they gave was DiMaggio's pizza, and I'm thinking one out of three is what I can use here. <laughs> one out of three. Here's how it goes. While you're having tea and crumpets at someone's house and they're slamming the church and you're just sitting there or someone in the church, whether it's Pastor Steve or myself or, or the song leader or whoever it is, and you're sitting there saying nothing, you are, let me use a legal term, you are complicit. And I looked that word up. And the very next word underneath that in Webster's is complicate. And when you are complicit, you complicate the matter. By you sitting there and saying nothing. Well, preacher, I just didn't say nothing. You're as guilty as the guy or gal that's talking. Well, don't know about that. Let me give you a scripture on that. Genesis chapter 37. Jacob's sons take Joseph, rip the coat off his back, throw him down in a well, and wait for a traveling caravan to show up that's headed to Egypt, and they lift him out of there, and Joseph's thinking, my brothers have had a change of heart. And they get him to the top, and they say, Sold. We'll take X amount of money for him. And they threw that bag of shekels to them. And they wrapped up Joseph and led him into Egypt, into slavery and bondage in Egypt. What does the brothers do? The brothers take the coat. They dip that in animal's blood. And they go back to their dad, Jacob. Now, you got to catch this. You got to catch this. Balcony, you need to catch this. This section, you need to catch it. This section, this one, this one, this one, this one. They hand it to him and say nothing. And Jacob grabs it 
and wraps it to himself and says, my son Joseph, an evil beast has torn him to pieces. Wrong. The evil beast were the other brothers standing there. Not saying a word. And knowing dad is having the grief of losing that son, or so he thinks, upon his brow and upon his mind. And they said nothing to correct that situation. I'm telling every person here and at Centralia Branch, again, while you're having your tea and crumpets and someone who is so willing to slam what's going on here, and you might as well figure it out. If you haven't, I'll let you know. Every Pharisee in four counties, Orchardville has a big target on its back, and they're going to try to slam everything we're trying to do. That's what's going to happen. Psalms. Chapter 1, please go there. Psalms 1. Verse 1, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in God's law does he meditate Day and night, you cannot delight in the law of the Lord and sit in the seat of the scornful at the same time. You can't do it. You can't do it. And David refused to be in the seat of the scornful or even sit next to it. I'll tell you what. Let me give kudos here. Wilford Musgrave, on more than one occasion, I have found out that that guy... When someone was slamming the church, he openly came to the church's defense. Mm, that's not right. That's not accurate. Have you been there? Well, no. Well, for, I attend church there. More than one time he's done that. Thank God for that. Well, I just didn't know what to say. You can at least open your mouth and spit out something. Years ago, our church was helping a woman that would put a roof on her house and did some things for, and, and there was a man, uh, uh, and for whatever, usually it's a preacher. I'll tell you why. It's, uh, uh, it ain't, George made a comment the other day about us trying to go to Fairfield. It ain't the, it ain't the drunk on the bar stool that's saying, well, we, just don't, we don't know about Orchardville Church coming to Fairfield. It ain't them saying that. It ain't them saying that. Oh. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Sanballat, the evil one in that book, Sanballat laughed Nehemiah to scorn. Now, misery loves company because the next time you see Sanballat, it's Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. You watch that. That cantankerous, that cantankerous man or woman that gripes about everything, it ain't long, they, they ain't satisfied doing that by themselves. They got to find somebody else to puke on. <laughs> the next thing we read in Nehemiah chapter 4, Sambalat mocks the Jews. 
Next thing we read, Sambalat conspires against Nehemiah. In Nehemiah 6, Sambalat said, let's get together and compromise. Let's go down to the valley of Ono and we'll talk this thing over. And I absolutely love Nehemiah's response. Do you expect me to come down from this great work that God has me to do to go to the valley of oh no? His answer was, oh no. I'm not going to do that. And the next thing we see in this, in this scenario, Nehemiah, here's what the prophetess Nehoiada has a word for you. Let me tell you down through the years. People that try to speak doom and gloom How'd that song go? Agony, despair. Huh? See, now I've messed everybody up on it. How'd that go? Somebody that actually knows, say it. That's it. Gloom, despair, agony on me. Anybody that tries to speak that to me, I say, and I've said this right in people's face before, and they never know how to respond. I say, I don't receive that. I don't receive that. What's from God says you. I don't receive that. Doom and gloom. How is it again? Gloom, despair. Shout out, summer. And agony on me. I don't, I don't receive that. My reasoning is the same as Nehemiah's reasoning, and you can find it in his book. He says, I perceive that what that woman was saying to me was not from God. You need to have some perception in your life. I'll give you a helpful hint here. Because years, years ago, there was a guy that came up to me, and we were still in the basement, in the basement. And he says, what makes you think God called you here? No, what makes you think you're, you should be the pastor here? And I said, God called me here. And in the conversation, it was just like he was really saying, if I was pastor, I'd be doing it different. Now, I don't know how much different he could have been doing it from what I was doing it. It was in a 30 by 40 basement with no indoor plumbing <laughs> with, with 14 people there. I got a helpful hint for people. Go out and buy three acres in the sticks. Start preaching. Preach your guts out. And come back and talk to me in 22 years. That'd be my, that'd be my word of advice. One reason why God has blessed this church is because this guy that you're looking at does not spend all of his time sitting in the seat of a scornful. You not hear me slamming other preachers. I don't spend my time slamming other churches. I don't spend my time slamming other ministries. I refuse to do that. My father-in-law said years ago, Bob Miller, he said, when you spend all of your time slinging mud, you're losing ground. And that's good. Ezekiel chapter 8 talks about the seat of jealousy. Leonardo da Vinci died Filled with jealousy because of a young upstart that was now getting work that he should have been getting. Who was that young upstart? Michelangelo. And the guy 
with the inventions and the skill and the talent, somebody getting a little bit of light, a little bit of acclaim that he should have been getting, that I've been getting all these years. He died eating up with that. Jealousy is a terrible, terrible thing. Terrible, terrible thing. And when I hear somebody preach better than me, and that's about 98% of the people I know, I'm always, I'm always rooting them on, rooting them on, rooting them on. Oh, they're stealing my thunder. I hope they fall when they go up the steps. It's awful. It's awful. I know a certain woman that is so jealous, it's, it, it, it's, it's eating her, and she is so unhappy. And I finally, I was just thinking about that one day, and she is just, she is just unhappy. I mean, I see her in the car, I wave real big, and it's just like, I'm, I'm waving. I don't care if she never waves at me. I'm gonna, I ain't going to let her dictate to me how I'm going to respond. I'm not going to do it. And I just go right ahead and wave. And she just glares at me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, why is she unhappy? And then I get figured it out one day. She takes herself with her everywhere she goes. That's why, <laughs> why she's so unhappy. Oh. When you compromise, you lose. When you compromise, you lose. Pharaoh told Moses, you can leave, but you can only go so far, and then you got to come back. Moses saying, no, ain't the deal. Pharaoh says, you can leave, but you can't take any of the animals, so you can't sacrifice to God. Moses said, that ain't the deal. You can leave, but you can't take your kids with you. Moses says, that ain't the deal. And finally, Pharaoh says, well, what is the deal? And Moses said, we're leaving, and we're taking everything with us. That's the deal. He would not compromise. Thank God for that. Would not compromise. Let me give you one more. I'll give you a couple more, but this won't take very long. Revelation chapter 2. I know where Satan's seat is. That's what the word says. I know where Satan's seat is. I do too. It's in every bar, dive, and tavern you can name. That's where Satan's seat is. And your behind ain't got any business conforming and compromising itself to that bar stool. There you go. There you go. Last one. Stay out of the chair of the uppermost seat. Luke chapter 11. Woe unto you Pharisees. For you love the uppermost seat in the synagogue. And Jesus said, that's despicable. Here's what I was thinking this week. You know, we know all about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. What would it be like for Jesus to wash my feet? What would it be like for Jesus to wash your feet? I really feel we'd have the same response as Simon Peter. Oh, no, Lord. Oh, no, no Lord, you can't wash my feet. Let me wash your feet. I, you, you can't wash my feet. Jesus showing the example that he was a minister to all. And one thing you can say about Jesus, he never compromised. 
Even as being a minister, he never compromised. Even ministering to other people, he never compromised. You got to watch out for ministers and ministries that get so big that they really stop ministering to people. I put it on myself, even the fatter I get, which I'm trying to take care of that. I am, don't laugh, Elaine. I'm trying to take care of that. If I see a piece of paper on the floor of this building, I reach down and pick it up. And kids, it ain't like reaching down like you reach down and pick it up. It's, it's like, what else can I do while I'm down here? Compromise. We could we use this chair. We could have used a lazy boy. Compromise. Devil rock you to sleep. In compromise. Because what used to be, mm, you wouldn't even thought about ten years ago. Now you're doing. Compromise. Compromise. See, we could have used the lazy boy to where it would have clicked. Do lazy boys click into place? One of them do. Yeah, where they click into place. See, somebody got a lazy boy over there, owner. Lazy boy, yeah. Got a cup holder there and everything. They click into place. Then click into place. Click into place. Scripture in Proverbs about, you know, a little nodding, a little folding, folding of the hand. A little nodding off, just step by step, click by click, position by position, and we've compromised. David got out of that chair. So should every one of us if we find ourselves there. Let's all stand. Lord, as we come to this part of this service, such an important part of this service, God, that you're going to speak to people's hearts and for someone here that's without Jesus, and God, we give you all the glory, all the glory, all the glory of the people here recently Almost on a weekly basis, it's been coming to faith to you, Lord Jesus. We're thankful for that. And God, if there's someone here this morning that's never said yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord in their life, God, I pray that you speak to them, deal with them, and Lord, that they would respond to that call that's been so freely offered to them. Lord, if there are people here this morning that... As Christian people, we need to be about your business and we need to stop compromising. We need to take a stand for you and thank God. Thank God you took a stand for us. Help us, Lord, to take a stand for you. And Lord, if there are people here that find themselves in this chair, help them, God, this day to know that they're going to, if they've got to wrestle themselves out of there, they're going to get out of that chair and they're going to live like you want them to live. In Jesus' wonderful name we're praying. Amen.
And like we've already said, you need to respond. You don't need me begging you. You don't need me going back and, and tearing the buttons off of your coat trying to get you to come forward. If the Spirit of God speaks, think of that invitation. The Spirit of God speaks, we should respond. Come on, let's sing. Take it upon yourself to come up here and pray with them. Don't let anybody, anybody pray with themselves. Come on, come on. Rid me of myself, I'll be 
It is our prayer that you have been blessed as you've listened to this message. If you would like to become a partner with this ministry, please contact us here at Orchardville Church. You can visit our website at orchardvillechurch.com or you can contact us by phone at area code 618-835-2677. I saw Jesus hanging on that tree, lifted up my heart down on my knee. The day I met Jesus.